This podcast is brought to you by our friends at Linode. Whether you're working on a personal project or managing your enterprise's infrastructure, Linode has the pricing, support, and scale you need to take your project to the next level. Get started on Linode today by going to linode.com slash view. Hey, everybody, and welcome to Enjoy the View. I'm Tessa, and today on our panel, we have Ari Clark. Hello. Ben Hong. Hello. And our special guest for this episode is Oscar Spencer. Oscar, would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah, my name is Oscar Spencer. I'm a software developer at Tidelift, and I work on a lot of fun projects centered around the view, and I love doing compilers in my spare time. Can we visit that topic for a second? <laughs> it's like a very intense hobby. <laughs> yeah. Wait, what? <laughs> How'd you get into that? Yeah, basically a couple of years ago, a buddy and, and I decided, hey, yeah, let's let's <laughs> let's write a programming language. And it was around the time that WebAssembly had just hit on by default in all the major browsers. So we said, oh yeah, let's let's definitely like do something around this. And we we made a language and we were still working on it. And it's 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 almost the language's three-year birthday. So it's pretty exciting. Wow. I'm feeling like a serious underachiever right about now. <laughs> oh, it's it's definitely not as complicated as people think. <laughs> You say that, but I feel like I know, the I feel rest like of us like really is like not helping. <laughs> 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 the moment someone goes, it's not that complicated. It's definitely super complicated. Yeah. Well, that is very impressive. Thank you. Wait, does it have a name? <laughs> yes, it is called Grain. You can check us out at ashalang.org. Okay. Yeah, we'll make sure to That's, include wow. a link okay. in the show notes for that. Yeah, I'm st- I'm still recovering from that revelation. <laughs> <laughs> So Oscar, I do have a question that you mentioned you work at Tidelift and I know Tidelift does some pretty interesting work with the open source community. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Oh, I'd absolutely love to. One, my, my favorite thing uh, sort of about my life right now is that I work at Tidelift. So we at Tidelift, what we do is we help companies better manage their open source software. So, you know, sort of making sure that they're getting software that's like maintained, making sure that they're getting software that is secure, sort of whatever you would expect from if you bought commercial grade software. But the coolest part about what we do is since we're actually, you know, looking at all the dependencies that all these companies are using, we take the subscription dollars we get from those companies and use them to pay the maintainers of all those open source projects, which is like the coolest thing. So Avenue, uh, for example, is uh, one of the lifters at Tidelift, which is pretty exciting. So Vue, with a lot of support from other things too, um, but Vue does get some support from Tidelift and uh, lots of other open source projects. And it's nice because you have a lot of projects that um, are fairly popular that you know people don't necessarily realize, hey, I should contribute to this project or I should donate to this project, but they are being used and they're all important. And yeah, funding is, is going to be the end of open source. So if we can help fix that problem and get projects funding, then yeah, we're going to have an amazing So yeah, I love Tidelip. It's, it's really been fantastic. So when you say enterprise support, you're saying like basically if someone starts an open source project that um, people are paying for through Tidelip, like if the maintainer suddenly disappears, that Tidelift will actually then come in and sort of help to support it? Yeah, so we do um, that sort of stuff, um, uh, just sort of making sure that like packages are well-maintained. So ideally, we do actually have the maintainers for all the packages that folks are using. So if you're using like Vue and you're using, um, maybe your backend is Ruby. So like we uh, partner with Ruby together to like help support a lot of the uh, Ruby projects, for example. So ideally, we have the, the maintainers around and, and we make sure that they do certain tasks around things like making sure that they have things like two-factor auth enabled, making sure that, hey, they're actually cutting like new releases for things when security issues come out that you know they're actually patched and things like that. But in the rare cases where, hey, uh, a maintainer isn't available, then yeah, we will do whatever we have to do to make sure that that package is taken care of. Yeah, that's really cool. I definitely, um, anyone has any sort of open source platform, if you're interested, definitely check out Tidelift. I'm definitely all doing great work for the OSS community. Now, speaking of, Oscar, you gave an awesome talk at ViewConf US about Vue as a backend. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah. So I first took a look at Vue 3 and I saw the, the new observability uh, model in Vue 3. And I was like, oh, man, this we can do some crazy stuff with this. And I immediately had the idea, what if we, what if we use this to just make a, a backend with Vue? Because we totally could, right? We can just take some data, observe it when things happen, we can fire off cool events and things like that. And so that's exactly what we ended up doing from my talk. So uh, yeah, I, I sort of put that together. 
ended up coming up with a, a little app with a, a little in-memory database that was just a reactive uh, view object. And as we mutated it, we, we fired off some view actions that like did a variety of things. I, I, I hooked it up to AWS Lambda, uh, which was super cool. So then boom, hey, we're changing the database. It's triggering AWS Lambda functions. And I had that Lambda function tweeting. So it was really cool for the presentation because you know, just in real time, it's like, hey, we added a user to our database and it was tweeted about. So like, you know, that kind of stuff was, was really, really cool. So I'm hoping that people can, you know, use that to come up with some cool stuff for, for their own projects. Um, I don't think anyone should use my example code in production, but <laughs> you can consider doing whatever they want. You know? Can you tell us a little bit about what is the observability model? Yeah, so Vue is incredibly smart. And I think a lot of times we don't realize how smart Vue really is. But so when we have a view component and we have that data function that returns our initial, our initial object with all of our data in it, view goes ahead and says, hey, I'm going to watch every single piece of data in here. And whenever any of this data changes, I'm going to track those changes and I'm going to go ahead and re-render that component. And view smart enough to say, actually, I'm only going to re-render the parts of the component that actually matter, um, which is why view is so efficient. But in Vue 3, uh, Vue decided to actually completely pull out that observability module into its own package. So it is framework agnostic. So it works with Vue. It could work with React if they decided, hey, yeah, let's throw out our, our model or whatever. Like They totally could, and they could use that. Uh, and it can just be the piece that tracks all those changes for you. And so what I ended up doing was just uh, using that to say, hey, I've got my own object here. Track these changes and then fire off these events for me whenever uh, you, know, you see those data points change. That's the idea. So you mentioned how when you realized that you could do a lot of wild things with the API, your immediate thought was like, okay, let's build a backend in this. Mm-hmm. Your talk was actually my friend Matt's favorite presentation at the conference. And so I was asking him, is there anything you want me to ask Oscar? And he wanted to know, how do you even come up with an idea like that? Would you mind going into that a little bit more? I had the same question because it was also my favorite talk. <laughs> yeah, I think largely what I would try to do is uh, I try to just think about, you know, how far can we push things, right? I think if we're constantly asking ourselves, yeah, like there's a standard stuff we can do with this, but what if we just use this for something else? Or what if we just tried something new? And I think it's a lot of that same thinking that sort of has me say, hey, let's like work on a new programming language, like sort of that kind of stuff. Just because... You, you know, it's really fun to just push the boundaries of things. Like, uh, especially when someone tells you, well, if you use a front-end framework. And I was like, well, what if it wasn't? <laughs> like, like what, if we, what if we just did, you know, what if we just did something else? When sort of like, even from like a programming language standpoint, it's like, well, oh, like functional programming languages, no one wants to use those. And I was like, well, what if it was easy? <laughs> like, what if they weren't hard? You know, just trying to do things like that. So I think largely it's just going to come down to with almost anything that you do. If you're just thinking about, hey, let's just let's take some assumption we have and just flip it and say, what if this thing wasn't true? Or what if something else were true? Then we're going to come up with a ton of fun stuff, a ton of crazy stuff. Nice. I love that. Okay. I have a confession to make. I was really tempted during your presentation to tweet at that account just for fun. But I was like, no, that'd be mean. <laughs> But I was like, oh, it was like so friendly and cheerful, but it was like nobody was talking to it. So I felt a little bit sad. Like, I <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was kind of funny because um, at the time um, I had the uh, AWS uh, Lambda like URL like actually in my code examples. And right after my presentation, someone's like, hey, did anyone did anyone hit your Lambda function yet? And I was like, oh, yeah, I forgot to actually like put that in like a variable somewhere so people wouldn't see that. Uh, so I was, I was able to shut it down before anyone noticed. But yeah, I hadn't really worried <laughs> at all about anyone messing with my, with my demo and, until so many people were like, hey, we totally wanted to mess with your demo. I know. But I guess like that's a testament to the, the quality of the view community that though we all wanted to, none of us did. <laughs> Um, and yeah, that's that's another thing that I was telling a lot of folks. Um, so many people asked me if I if I was nervous about you know giving my talk because it was my first uh, big conference talk. Like, uh, it's oh. cool. Like I've gotten to speak at meetups and things like that, but never at like a, a big conference with hundreds of people. And people asked me if I was nervous, and the answer was not really. It's because I've been a part of the view community for a little while now, and it's amazing to see how just fantastic the people in the view community are. Everyone's so supportive. Everyone's always trying to learn new things. So I knew that every single person who was watching me speak was just there 
wanting to learn and wanting to succeed. So like, I just sort of, I felt that energy in the room. And I think, you know, that, that means a lot just to have such an amazing community. I totally agree with your sentiments on the view community, <laughs> but I'm really shocked that that was your first like big conference talk. Cause you were amazing. Like just straight up, like you had like the perfect balance of information and like levity and accuracy. <laughs> I, I loved it so much. So I hope you do more conference talks for sure. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I, I definitely want to, to speak more. I love speaking to people. It's just, it's so much fun, especially if you can take something that people think is actually interesting. And I knew I had a challenge because I definitely made people really wonder about my talk. Because when I came up with the title, I was like, oh, I'm just going to call it, you know, view as a backend. And folks <laughs> are going to look at that and they're going to say, well, either this dude <laughs> has no clue what, what he's doing or like, and it's going to be a really boring talk or it's going to be really interesting. And so, and it was funny because I even had folks come up to me after and they say, oh yeah, we were going to go to your talk. And I just, I, I'm honest and I, I was not expecting anything good from your talk, but then it was- Yeah, I was skeptical. <laughs> I was. Like I was like, when I saw the title, was I was like, great like what? <laughs> great hug. Yeah, it was my kind of title. Yeah, yeah. Tessa, you and your fun titles. But yeah, going back to the view community, I don't know if like the view community attracts this personality type or if I just am attracted to that kind of personality type. But I feel like there's a lot of people who have that similar approach of taking this assumption and being like, what if we flip that on its head? Or in my case, like, what if I made the worst possible version of this? Um, <laughs> so much fun. So I really enjoy that aspect of it. So how did you come up with your example and what was your inspiration for integrating all of that kind of on-trend millennial Twitter talk into, into your presentation? Yeah, largely uh, what it came down to for me was I wanted to have something that was very relatable to folks. Like I knew like, yeah, this is a view conference. A lot of people here are probably front-end people. So we don't want to do something super complicated on the back end. But at the same time, like I want backend folks to come to this talk and say, like, actually, yeah, this is like a very real thing that I could see us actually using. Uh, so I was like, well, what is something almost everyone has to deal with? And it's definitely having to deal with users. Like, and like, you're gonna hear everyone complain, like, ah, yeah, you have to deal with our users. So I was like, actually, yeah, let's do that. Let's make a, a super simple database where we're dealing with users. But I want to show some sort of real world, like, hey, well, what are what are some things that we'd actually want to do? And some of those things are going to be triggering jobs and things like that, um, which is why I had the example like, okay, hey, well, we have a super user logging in. So actually, yeah, let's like take, say, hey, the super user logs in, let's go ahead and kick off this like long running, like difficult task in the background from a view effect, because that's maybe something that you want to do in real life, some task that needs to run when people log in or people do things or things like that. And I thought like just things like that would help show people, oh yeah, I get it. I, I understand. Hey, yeah, I can actually use this to, to run some tasks or do other things like that. Um, because it's not every day that you have necessarily, like, or that we think of things as effects, right? Because like some databases have things to say, oh, when this thing happens or this data changes, you can trigger some particular thing. But we often don't think about things like that. And with the observability model, we, we have to think of things in effects and say, hey, this is an effect of this. This is an effect of something else. So yeah, I think uh, it, it largely comes down to, hey, yeah, let's just find something that's going to be really relatable for folks. As for my Millennium Talk, <laughs> you know, that one wasn't really planned, I think, because I had it tweeting. I was like, well, you know, we're going to tweet this or whatever. And I think <laughs> I was at home and I and I was like, okay, well, I'm going to delete this user. And I'm just like, yeah, I'm just going to eat him out of this database. <laughs> and then I was like, oh, great. That's a great name for my effect. I'm just going to call it the yeet effect. And then it just kind of stuck on and uh, people seem to like it. Uh, <laughs> eat him out of the database. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a Gen Z <laughs> People seem to get it and they seem to, to enjoy it uh, without it being like too much, which was good. Uh, yeah, I was hoping that, I, <laughs> that I didn't go too overboard with it. In fact, so I, I don't know if you guys remember, but I had a, a moment where I had a user that I just deleted from uh, the, the database and I was like, okay, we're going to eat Joe. I think I, I picked some random name. And when I gave the presentation at my local meetup, one person was giving me some feedback and uh, he was like, yeah, um, the main point of feedback is maybe be very careful who you eat. Because in the, in the presentation, 
at our view meetup, I just picked a random person who usually goes to the meetup, and I was like, "Oh, this is like this is Jordan. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna eat Jordan." And so everyone thought it was funny, but I was like, uh, "Yeah, you know, maybe maybe people won't get it uh, if I just pick an audience member. That's probably not a good idea." Yeah, something something. The community is very small. You never want to eat your bridges. <laughs> exactly. So since delivering that talk, have have you found that other people or yourself or you, I guess, adopted this kind of full stack view approach? Like, are you now using view as a backend full time? I have not yet seen anyone take this approach. Uh, and I think it's going to be really interesting if I, if I see someone do it. Yeah, I don't know. I think uh, a lot of folks are, we're definitely waiting for U3 to drop for real before saying, okay, yeah, we're going to dive super deep into this. <laughs> because, and that's like the other thing too. When I came up with the talk originally, we didn't even have the, the, the previews yet for U3. We just had the like documents outlining, hey, this is what the API is going to look like. And so my initial version of the talk of the demo, I actually just wrote basically what looks like uh, the current view API, but obviously my code was much, much worse. Uh, and I was like, all I need is this code to just show me that, hey, this is almost kind of going to work. And then I can totally write this talk. And then it did. So I was like, all right, cool. And then we actually got uh, the preview of view 3. So I got to use it for real. And I was very happy to see that it actually did work for real. <laughs> oh, yeah. So initially you made like... <laughs> a fake version based on like the potential for what that API would look like. Exactly. Yes. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I actually had to find that uh, code on my computer because I was like, I haven't looked at this in a while because I I think I submitted uh, the talk far before we ever heard back, which was funny too, because uh, I remember that I think it was getting close to the to the talks coming out and they said they were going to send out rejection letters. And I was like, I haven't gotten my rejection letter yet. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, you could just tell me you don't like my idea. It's fine. Uh, <laughs> and, then, and then I got the email. I was like, oh, okay, cool. Uh, <laughs> well, I definitely got my rejection letter, so. <laughs> oh, <no>. Yeah, me too. <laughs> but yeah. I love that you were so salty about not getting rejected yet. And then when the acceptance came, you're just like, oh, whatever. No <laughs> <Okay>. big. <laughs> it, it, it was really like, uh, because like, I think I submitted that particular talk to one other conference that didn't accept it either. And they were very strict. They were very like, hey, yeah, no, we don't want you. And I was like, okay, that's cool. Uh, then, they made a mistake. <laughs> it's like, oh, but I was like, view, you guys told me a date. You said you'd tell me no by this date. And it's been like two weeks past this date. <laughs> so I was like, I just want to know. You can just tell me so I can, I don't know. <laughs> so as an attendee, what talks made an impact on you? Or did you get any ideas that you were like, oh, I would like to incorporate that into this back-end view project? I don't know that I thought of any in the context of Vue as a backend per se. I, every single time I go to a Vue conference, because I still have never just sat down and done a start from finish project with Next. And I feel that I need to. Like every single time I see another Next, I'm like, ah, oh, Next is so good. <laughs> it's like, why haven't I done this yet? So it's definitely uh, cool seeing that. And Apollo, like I feel like I, I haven't gotten to do a ton with you know GraphQL. So uh, it's definitely really cool to see like, hey, these these projects are very alive and well and they're doing some really cool stuff. And yeah, I actually was thinking about, I was like, it would be really cool if we could find some way to hook up like sort of a view backend sort of thing to some sort of GraphQL client where it's like, okay, as we're posting things, you probably could, right? You could hook into um, hmm. any GraphQL like client and, and say like, hey, actually, we know that this thing got mutated or and actually fake, uh, fire off events and things like that, which would actually yeah. be kind of cool. And I hadn't really thought about it too much. Now you mentioned it, it sounds like the perfect combination for a real-time app. That's my specialty, so that's all I think about. <laughs> so, yeah, I've exactly. a couple I, talks I see, on it. Yeah, I see a, a, a lot of opportunity in the real-time apps. Yeah. Because it's all going to be about if you have some data flowing in and you need things to happen based on certain pieces of data and it's happening ton and ton and ton and ton and ton, mm-hmm. It's the perfect opportunity to just make the code super simple. Um, that was the thing that I loved about the view backend the most is the fact that the database implementation, especially the routes and whatnot, they looked like perfectly normal routes. It's like, this is just a normal route. It just so happens that when these things happen, your, these events are getting fired, which was the coolest part for me. I was like, ah, oh, the code could be so clean if you were doing, trying to do some of this stuff. 
which which is what I thought was exciting. I like clean code. <laughs> really, I like messy code. No, <laughs> I mean that's what I write, code. but I'm not going to say I like it. <laughs> We've all written spaghetti code. Yeah. So I'm curious, Oscar, how did you get like, you know, a lot of us have different journeys when it comes to like the framework. So how did you get into like the, you know, what brought you to the view community like or in the framework to begin with? Yeah. So before I was like so many other people in the view community, before I was a view developer, I was a React developer. And like, I love React. I thought React was a fantastic framework. The community was definitely there, which was really awesome. When I started at Tidelift, I found out, hey, uh, Tidelift uses Vue. So I was like, that's super cool because I never used Vue, but I heard a lot about it. So I was like, yeah, let me, let me give it a shot. And then after using Vue for a couple months, that's when I started to form opinions because obviously lots of friends were like, oh, okay, you're using Vue. What do you think? Like, what do you think? How's it compared to <laughs> And I didn't have opinions for a while. But the huge thing that I came out of Vue is that a lot of the things that we accomplish with React, we sort of can do and view without having to have the whole React mental model, which I think is the most powerful part of you, is the fact that, hey, I can actually do all this complicated stuff. My app can be very, very performant. It can be very, very efficient. But most people can actually just drop in and start being very productive on day one. And I think that's like the huge thing. And I think that says a lot about the community as well. Uh, Because you see a lot of folks in the community, they come in you go to the Vue website and actually by the time you leave the Vue website, you've figured out how to actually make a component in Vue, which is fantastic. And so when even the framework itself is that welcoming, you're going to start seeing that in a lot of the people too. You're going to start seeing a lot of people say like, oh yeah, um, it's easy. Just hop in like this. And people get confident because they're like, hey, I know how to use Vue, which means I can show other people how to use Vue. So it's like, yeah, come on over. Like, I'm more than happy to show you how to do it, right? And, you know, there, there isn't sort of like any air of, oh, yeah, this thing's like super complicated. You got to be like super ready to, <laughs> to like dive deep in this. <laughs> and so I think I just embrace that. I love the idea of taking complicated things and making them super accessible and super easy to use. And I think that was what I loved about you. That's why a lot of what we're trying to do with Grain, my language is, Let's take a lot of complicated concepts from other languages and actually just simplify them and, and get them in the hands of lots of folks. Like it seems like accessibility is everything. Like whether <laughs> it's for you know users who particularly need it or just for normal people, it ends up helping all of us. Uh, which is why I, I think like Vue has done so particularly well. I was just going to ask Oscar if you could expand a little bit more on how you see the React mental model and the Vue mental model um, and what that transition was like from one to the other. Yeah, definitely. So the thing that we always hear in React is, hey, you need to learn how to think in React. And so React is meant to be a very functional style, like programming framework. And the idea of, hey, we're going to take all these uh, components, uh, we're going to deal with higher order components, and we're going to compose components. We have a one-way data flow, everything flows down. It's a lot to sort of take in at the beginning. Couple that with the fact that you now have this brand new syntax, you have JSX, and it says, okay, yeah, it's basically just HTML. You just kind of write this, and then there's some JavaScript, uh, JavaScript sprinkled in and out. But that's not actually true, right? JSX is just JavaScript. And so really, we're writing JavaScript with different syntax, and <laughs> that gets a lot of people in trouble really, really fast. Just because like, if you're not realizing what you're doing, you're going to make mistakes that are going to, in fact, uh, impact performance of your application and things like that. And I found that when I was writing React, you end up thinking a lot about performance, where it's like you're writing some, um, some component and you're writing a render method and you start writing a function. And you're like, oh, no, actually, I can't define this function here because every time my component renders, it's going to make a new closure and that's going to be bad for memory. And the JavaScript garbage collector is going to be in... It's like, whoa, whoa, like, I'm a normal developer. I should never be worried about the JavaScript garbage collector. Like, that's not something I should ever think about, you know? And then when I first started with Vue, I remember it's like, all right, you write a template. And I was like, a template? What year is it? I'm like, I don't want to write a template. Like, get out of here. Get out of here. Uh, and then after using it for, I don't know, more than like a second, I was like, honestly, yeah, it's kind of simple. It's kind of nice. <laughs> so yeah. like, it turns out uh, it's a template and it actually is just HTML. One of my coworkers, one of his favorite things about it is that designers often can get into your Vue components and make changes because it really is just HTML. 
Versus in React, a lot of the time, it's like, oh, actually, this JSX here, yeah, okay, I'll just do it for you, is kind of how it ends up going. Which isn't to say that React isn't a fantastic framework. I think it is still a fantastic framework. It's just sort of a different mindset, a different way of tackling the problems. I think for sure, I think we do know that people can be much more productive in Vue than they can be in React. The ramp up time is a lot, a lot less. Yeah, I remember when I first started writing React, it was like, I want to loop through and like render out a list. It was like, do I use for each? Do I use for? Do I use map? <laughs> like, which one's better? Which one's more performant? And then it was like, V was like, V4, done. Like, moving yeah, on. Right? That's right. <laughs> and that's it. We call it a day. And I think that's another thing too, is a lot of folks forget that Vue does have render functions. You can just write a render function yourself if you really need to. So if you do have something that's particularly complicated, for that one moment, you can write that really like complicated thing. But then even with JSX, and then when you're done, you can go back to just having your simple templates, which I think is really nice. I feel so left out. I, I was spoiled and I never had to do React. <laughs> but I had to do Polymer, so... Uh, yeah, <laughs> I feel like it's a fair trade. <laughs> yeah, fun fact. I think my first exposure to React was to actually React Native. That was like my first professional project, which is like, wow, just complicates things. Then there's this like mobile on top of a new framework, and it was like, oh, that was <laughs> that was an adventure. Yeah, I'm really excited to see Vue three with the custom renders for native script. I'm so excited to see uh, what they do there. I think that's going to be super cool. Especially like when you can say, you can just use a div if you want. And then that div just magically is the element that you need it to be. Like, that's so cool. I hadn't even thought about that. But yeah, maybe I should think about deeper topics more. (laughs) Or I'll just let you do it. And then you can tell me about it. (laughs) Yeah, next year, I fully expect a talk proposal for Vue as a mobile framework. (laughs) I think Jen Looper has so much to say about that. (laughs) I don't know. She's doing React these days. Oh. I know. It's very sad. I haven't uh, gotten to talk to her much. So we both live in Boston. So she's local to the, the Boston View meetup. So it's been you know cool like seeing her and, and, and her blowing up. Which <laughs> has been really, really cool. Yeah, no, I love her. She's amazing. Jen is amazing. We love her here. <laughs> so what new feature in View 3 are you most excited for? Honestly, I think it's the Composition API. I think maybe, and it's a big maybe, is that one of the points lacking in view maybe is just composability of like different components. And like we have mixins and they actually kind of work, which is kind of crazy. I've never seen mixins work anywhere, but they kind of work in view. And so seeing like, oh, hey, actually, we can actually compose our components. I think that's actually going to be really, really huge for view and you being even more successful. Because it's, it's always going to be when you start having those really big projects where you're trying to reuse a ton of things that you're going to run into problems. Yeah, at first sight, it was like, I don't understand what the big deal is. And then as I started to really understand the use cases, like almost every day, I'm like, man, this would be really handy in this component. Oh, in this component. God, I can't wait. Because <laughs> yeah, like when you start to get to the point where like you have no choice but to have multiple features living inside the same component, and you're having to like scroll back and forth just to find the relevant logic for a single feature that's mixed in with five others, like, and you know, sure, people say, well, you could just break it down into smaller components. Sometimes that really just isn't an option. <laughs> right. But yeah, I'm really excited yeah. about that too. Yeah, like when the RFC first came out and I was reading through that long file that everybody was talking about on Twitter, I was like, I really don't understand what this is supposed to, what any of this is supposed to mean. But now that I'm up against this wall of like, I'm looking at a bunch of components that are all importing like multiple giant mixins from like different files and then passing everything down as props. And like, there's a lot of like, I feel like very reacty stuff going on where we're passing down a lot of callback methods and then props to alter those callback methods. And so now that I'm in that, in that pickle, I'm like, oh, we need the composition API. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like it's sort of like Redux. You don't understand its use until you need it. (laughs) Yeah. Like, for like a simple app, Composition API really probably isn't a good idea. Yeah. I mean, you can do it, but I think you're going to complicate things more than necessary. But yeah, mm-hmm. once you start getting into a mature app where features have built, been built on top of other features, and it starts to get sad and messy. <laughs> and you're yeah. like, oh yeah, I wish I could break that down. Yeah, I've been a really big fan of the you might not need Redux and you might not need UX uh, like sort of ideologies. 
just because it's like, hey, yeah, these things are amazing, but we can also hold off on them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, you know, small yeah. project. You know, just, just don't use the event bus. <laughs> yeah, Ben. <laughs> I'm yeah, not speaking from personal experience, not at work. all. <laughs> But in all seriousness, event bus is very useful for targeted scenarios, but just don't use it as a replacement for like VUX. That, that's the mistake I'm referring to. In case anyone wants to come back and be like, wait, but it's useful for this. I, I know it's useful, just not. Well, as, like, actually, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Something useful doesn't mean it's good then. <laughs> There's also that. So, what is the weirdest issue you've ever had to fix in a view project? Speaking of suboptimal coding patterns. Good question. Yeah. That's a tough one. I don't know. I feel like I never really run into really weird, you know, situations. I don't know. I feel like also like the team of people I work with, they're all amazingly talented. (laughs) So a lot of the time it's just like, hey, yeah, let's just try and let's just try and keep up (laughs) with what everyone else is doing. Yeah, no, that's a a super tough one. Like nothing comes to mind of, of anything particularly weird. Yeah. So you're saying you just write good code off the bat? Other people write good code. Unlike us mere mortals <laughs> who uh, code ourselves into holes we have to dig out later. <laughs> like the worst bug where you console log it and then that fixes the bug and then you delete the console log and the bug and is... <laughs> I have totally run into that. Really? Oh my God. Yes. That sounds terrifying. Because why... I think usually it's race conditions, at least that I've found. Okay, that makes sense. It's like forcing something to trigger because it's, I don't know, it's just really weird. Oh, okay. I ran into a really weird test issue this week or what's it last? Anyway, so I could not get this test to pass no matter what I tried. With Nextic, nothing was working. But I used a set timeout for two milliseconds that it would pass. It was very upsetting because I still don't understand why. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. What testing tool are you using? Test Utils with Jess. Yeah. Test Utils with Jess. Okay. I was getting some weird about cannot read property is destroyed of undefined. And I'm like, what? Yeah. And the only reference to anything like near that was an issue opened by Acrium. So I was like, okay, so this is way beyond me. I was like, yeah, uh-uh. nope. <laughs> We're just going to find some other way. <laughs> yes, Acrium is Guillaume uh, Chow from the core team for those who don't recognize him by his handle. No, and like the, the, of course, the issue was masterfully written. He was like, not sure where we should fix this in the view core or view test utils. We could fix it here and like a link to the code, like the source code. I was like, wow, okay. Maybe I should never file an issue again because it pales in comparison to the level of completeness of this. But the ticket was still open in case anyone was wondering. <laughs> it was filed like a year ago. Yeah, does that happen to anyone else? I noticed that when I like open issues on GitHub, I don't know what it is, but that's like the most nerve-wracking thing for me. Where it's like, hey, yes. I want this to be like really professional, and, but I also like I gotta be very specific, <laughs> and I definitely like read it over like several times. Like just last night, I was posting like a, an issue uh, in one of the WebAssembly repos, and I was just like, all right, all right, okay. Did I say this right? Did I say, okay, cool, cool, cool. Let me read this over two more times. All right, great. (laughs) My whole thing is like, what if, what if I'm just missing something really obvious and I'm just an idiot? Oh God. (laughs) I just, I just, I don't want to waste people's time. Uh, Just uh, like, I feel like, especially working at Tidelift, I've had amazing opportunities to meet so many maintainers. And as I meet them, I'm like, oh my God, yeah, these people have their lives and I don't want to waste their time. Like, just like, please, like, uh, like if you could spare a little help, like I would love it. But it's also. <laughs> I mean, it sounds like y'all are still streets ahead of me because usually when I have an issue, I look it up and then like Evan Yu has written this two thousand word essay of like every possible path thought out and explained. And even if I don't necessarily agree with the outcome, I'm like, oh, I can see like why he made this decision. Or everybody's favorite the stack overflow that was like closed for being an off-topic duplicate question or something. And then your answer is in the comments. <laughs> yep. Those are fun. Yeah. I feel like I've only ever really filed issues for like the Element UI library where like me and my teammate would be pouring over other pull requests with like Google Translate, translating all of the Chinese and being like, okay, we think this issue is related, but between us, we don't know that much Chinese. So we're not sure. 
We're <laughs> liberally filing duplicate issues. I feel like the only legitimate issue I ever filed was for Polymer. And the answer was just upgrade to the breaking version. I'm just like, really, guys? <laughs> so it's like, the issue was mind blowing. If you included any file that modified an array prototype, crashed your app. And they're just like, oh, yeah, no, that's a thing. It's probably not an issue in Polymer 2, but they didn't actually try. So I was like, cool. No. (laughs) So that was when I just switched to Vue instead. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. I remember this one time in another Vue component library, I was trying to do like a programmatic click and then catch it outside of Vue because we had this weird setup where like one Vue app would import a bunch of other Vue apps. So basically, I was like, okay, global click is not working. Maybe when the user clicks in one of the child apps, I know this all sounds very weird. I remember when you were having this problem. Yeah. And then I was like, (laughs) okay, so when the child app receives the click, then I will emit the click to like the parent app or something. And it wasn't working. And I found out that this component library just everywhere in this older version, they completely disabled the ability to handle programmatic clicks. And so I asked, oh, why is that there? Thinking it must be a security issue or something. And then the response I got was like, I don't know, that comment was two years old, LOL. And I was like, no, oh no, (laughs) two weeks of my life gone. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Yeah, it also, I remember when I first submitted my first PR, so like an open source project and you're just like seeing... I'm not that cool. Oh my gosh, like, and then like, are they going to respond? Do they think I'm stupid? Like, did I write the wrong thing? And now he's and on the view core team. For the rich and famous. No, it's... Um, yeah, P- PRs are, are tricky and writing issues. But I, I will say as someone who started reviewing more PRs, like, honestly, a duplicate issue, like, or just even if a question seems simple, like, those are a lot, are quite... Almost a relief sometimes to 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 answer those because it's like the really complicated ones where you're like I don't even know how to answer this, and then you just like sit there and scratch your head. So you know you know I would encourage encourage those who you know I know that only issues ten you feel like can be a little scary, but we all we're all here to help one another. So feel free to file away, and community is always happy to help in and help answer questions and such. So hey, guys, hear that? Stupid questions are okay. Ben said so. <laughs> No such thing. <laughs> See? Yeah, I think I'll add on to that too. Like definitely never feel that, you know, they're not going to want your your contributions or that they're not going to want your PR. Because we do. <laughs> like we definitely do. Like anytime someone even remotely says, hey, yeah, I want to work on this thing. I'm like, perfect. Great. Thank you. Because, you know, these projects are a ton of work and sort of any extra help is really, really appreciated. And that's the other thing too. A lot of the time, like if you know exactly why something's happening and you've even peeked at the source, you know, go ahead and give it a shot to fix it because chances are it's also going to get fixed way faster if you just do it yourself. And, you know, you're helping out yourself, you're helping out everyone else too. So it's, it's a win-win for everyone. Yeah, yeah. And even if a PR is rejected, it's not oftentimes because the code is bad. It's either like you learn about something that's coming down architecturally that you're not aware of. Or they have suggestions on how things to get better. Like it's definitely a learning opportunity too. Think of it like when you're at work and you submit a PR for your team. Like that's really what open source is like. And so if we are taking a little while to respond, it's often it's because most of us have other jobs and other things. It's not because we're intentionally ignoring the PR. But to Oscar's point, like, yeah, please, please submit PRs, please add comments and yeah, we really appreciate it. I can't speak so much from the perspective of a maintainer, because like the only PR I've ever gotten was a typo fix on a personality quiz I made. Really appreciated the typo fix. I've taken Um, that quiz. (laughs) But definitely from the perspective of when I was learning JavaScript, and I feel like there's always these waves of, what if we had this perfect system where somebody asked a question once and then it was never asked again because it was already answered? And at least for me learning, I always found it really valuable to go and answer the questions that I could handle, like teaching somebody who was a little bit newer than I was, which helped me also learn. Or if I didn't know the answer, trying to figure it out on my own and then going back and helping answer those questions. Like I do think that there is a lot of value in these repeated issues and these repeated questions from learning and mentorship perspective as well. Yeah. And one comment on that too is that honestly, as a maintainer, if the same question keeps coming up, that often is a sign that either the documentation is confusing to people or there's something we could solve. Like maybe people are making the same mistake over and over. So 
you know, it is a nice like little canary just to let us know like, you know, something's off, right? People are confused about this concept clearly. So just a comment to the benefits of that. Doing that kind of I had thing. never even thought about that, but that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's definitely one area where I feel like I'm always very self-conscious is like, okay, for example, with view, the view docs, like for the animation part, I'm always like, I don't understand the transition tag documentation. And then I'll be talking to somebody and be like, oh, the documentation for that part is really great. And I'm like, oh no, maybe it's just me. Okay, to be fair, I have heard Chris say he hates that part and he wrote it. So yeah, I about this. And that was the first time I was like, oh, thank God. It's not just me. Yeah, yes, if, if even the author's like, no, it wasn't very good. <laughs> but I don't know, for me, it made sense, but I can totally see how like, maybe it only caters to like a specific mental model. Yeah, we can always do better. I want to throw out there, if you have an open source project and you ever get an opportunity to sit down with Chris Fritz and chat about documentation, it will probably change your life and change your open source project forever. The way that man thinks about documentation is just phenomenal. Maybe just everyone just go tweet at him and say, like, hey, like, how do I write documentation better? But like, you know, if Chris were here, loomy, right? yeah. <laughs> he would tell you to tweet at Gloomy Loomy. So I'll get all the questions. <laughs> Yeah, Chris is sad he couldn't be here today. But yes, I totally agree with Oscar. He's a man very, very knowledgeable about education and just thinking about users and making things approachable. 100%. Well, shall we... Does anyone have any sort of final questions for Oscar as we start to wrap up the episode? I mean, I could probably spend hours, but... you know, I was going to say, yeah, I could totally... <laughs> we're totally going to have to have you back on, Oscar. So then can you talk a little bit about where people can find you on the internet? Yes. If you're looking to find me on the internet, you can find me on Twitter at Oscar underscore spin. You can email me, Oscar at grain-lane.org. That's the favorite place of mine to receive emails because it's like, hey, people are looking at my project. It's so exciting. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you can find my GitHub pro- uh, profile. My username is O Spencer. Awesome. We'll be sure to include links to all of those in the episode notes. And with that, it's time for us to move on to this week's picks. So Ari, would you like to go first? Sure. So for music picks this week, I'm sort of copping out. I'm going to go with Phantom and Phantom Part 2 by Justice. <laughs> so, you know, it's, it's a two-part song, but it technically counts as two songs. So, And I'm also going to pick something I have previously picked, but now it's on Netflix. So Community is an amazing show that is now on Netflix and you should totally watch it. <laughs> anyway... Yeah, I haven't watched it in a few years. I'm a little like, oh, well, I still like it. But there are so many great scene puns. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, yeah, I'm working through season one right now and the writing, I'm just reminded of just, ah. Yeah, so I have watched Community all the way through like at least five times. So (laughs) I'm like, yeah, I have like a (laughs) cult-like affection for it. (laughs) And like even now, uh, I find new Easter eggs. So... And apparently that was going to be Ben's pick. So I am so sorry, Ben. (laughs) I wasn't looking at the talk. (laughs) Makes it all the better. I'm so sorry. That was a double endorsement. (laughs) The one with the gas leak. I love that one too. It was great. Yeah. So if anyone's wondering what that is actually referenced to. So there was one year where Dan Harmon was not part of the show. And that is referred to as the year of the gas leak. Yeah, because basically he came back and they were like, okay, we'll just say everybody was a bit out of it because of the gas leak. But it finally, like Chang's character finally made sense to me thanks to that season. I love Chang so much. He's the worst and the best all at once. (laughs) (laughs) Still can't believe that man was a doctor. (laughs) Right? Oh my God. So it seems like this is a good segue into Ben's picks for the week. Would you like to go next? Sounds good. So yeah, thanks, Ari. Community was my pick as well. I'm so sorry. (laughs) To be fair, I had already picked it before. Yes, fair enough. You just weren't on that episode. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, so it's currently on Netflix. So check it out if you haven't watched it before. And so yeah, uh, given that most of us are in some sort of quarantine these days, recommend just like sort of online gaming. It's been a sort of theme with me. So I originally was going to recommend the Switch, but I realized that it's like sold out everywhere and people are price gouging and whatnot. So I'm going so to recommend. If you have one, Steam. sell it now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to recommend the Steam platform instead. So whether it's PC, Mac, um, you can basically it's a free gaming platform you can download and it has a ton of games that you can choose from. So it gives you a lot of options to pick different games to play with people online, like co-op stuff or versus. So 
if you're looking for fun ones to play, like Overcooked are some easy ones to get into for those who like might be new to gaming and that kind of stuff. So yeah, definitely check it out. And then yeah, in a couple of weeks, Ari, hopefully I might get my... Uh, I got a the Fit Adventure that you mentioned. Oh yeah, the ring. It was sold out everywhere since it like is. the beginning of the year. Yeah, I, I might have had to pay a little bit for it, but I feel like I really needed it. So. Yeah, if anyone's wondering, it's going for like minimum three times what the original retail price was. So you you must really want it, but I do highly recommend it. So you're going to have fun, Ben. It'll be <laughs> worth it, I swear. I may be looking at like a rowing machine instead because you can get some pretty small ones. And also for about the same price. <laughs> <laughs> but it won't be as interactive, okay? I'm not going to be like shooting ring people. <laughs> Yep, but that's it for my picks this weekend. Awesome. How about you, Oscar? Do you have any picks for us this week? Yes. In fact, my first music pick, one of my favorite bands is Oh Wonder. And they actually were just on tour and they're in the States just around now, but uh, it got canceled, as like a lot of things do. But their, their new album is fantastic. So definitely check out Oh Wonder. On the video game front, I, I thought Ben was going to mention Factorio. I don't know how, uh, why he didn't, but uh, I will take his. Oh, <laughs> I love Factorio. It is a fantastic Wait. game. Dude, uh, we need to play together. Let's play, man. I'm, yes. I'm, All right. I'm right. I'll be later. <laughs> I love that. Uh, but yes, Factorio is uh, is a game. If you if you like Minecraft, it's like Minecraft, but kind of even more hardcore <laughs> of like building things. And if you're a programmer and you love optimization mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Love and automation, oh my gosh, dude, is- I just unlocked robots. <laughs> robots. Oh, when you can start having robots build things for you, it changes the game. Oh, quite I, literally. I, I feel like Tony Stark with all my robots coming to me and delivering materials. It's, oh, it's so That's great. Fantastic. But yeah. Those are my picks. Ari looks like she's sitting there like, I love doing my job as a hobby in a game. That sounds super fun. <laughs> I'm just like, secretly I'm like nerds, but I'm like, oh, but I want to, so I can't judge. <laughs> Oscar, did you still want to talk about AC? Oh, right. I, I feel like everyone knows, but yes, Animal Crossing New Horizons, it's still fantastic. If you already have a Switch, you can download it without having to find a physical co- uh, copy anywhere. But Which you can't. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's like impossible. It's so, it so wholesome, especially yes. uh, during these trying times of staying inside. So just being able to walk outside and, and do a little bit of fishing and maybe tend your garden is quite nice. And get scammed by your turnip market. Oh God, so much hate. Don't even get me started on the yes. stock. They're selling ah. at 60, like eight bells on my island. I bought for 105. It's and I'm in awful. like the exact same position as Ben. It's a scam. It's a scam. <laughs> I feel like it's all worth it though for like the pun with the stock market. I love that part. <laughs> I, I Is it though? <laughs> You have to work with your friends to to gain the stock market because you know one of your friends they're going to be selling for five hundred a pop and you got to slide over to their island and, and get them sold. Yeah, my friends are uh, never online with their islands open, so if anybody wants to be my friend that actually lets me on their island, you should totally DM me <laughs> on Twitter. Just saying. Yes, fun trivia fact about this episode: we all play Animal Crossing. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I just got a Kotatsu in Animal Crossing, and so like I was. I was like feeling kind of done after Bunny Day, but once I got the Kotatsu, I was like, oh my goodness, my childhood dream, but in the game. And for people who don't know, Okotatsu is a type of low table from Japan with a heater element inside. And then there's like a blanket that wraps around it. So you stick your legs and my feet and hands are always cold. You stick them under the blanket and you just like have mandarin oranges or whatever sitting at this blanketed table with the heater, keeping your feet toasty. This is very specific. It seems very comfortable. And now more than ever, they're apparently quite easy to obtain online. So maybe it won't be just an Animal Crossing. <laughs> but yeah, okay. So my picks. My first recommendation is Travelers, which is on Netflix right now. I don't know if maybe I just like all of the shows that Eric McCormick happens to run. If you don't know him, he was Will and Will and Grace. And he was, because he also had the show on TNT called Perception with Rachel Lee Cook, where he was like a professor who helped her solve crimes or something. So Travelers is like, if anybody's ever played the game, The Third Birthday for the PSP, it's kind of like that where the future is an apocalypse and they're trying to prevent the events in the past, which is our present, from leading up to the apocalypse by sending people back in time to our time to occupy the minds of people who 
like we're about to die. So basically they transfer their minds into those bodies right before the moment of death, if that makes sense, and then try to carry out these missions from this mysterious director in the future to try and fit together all of the pieces and prevent different kinds of disasters that they think leads up to whatever happens in the future, which I'm not there yet, so I don't know. But that's, if you like like heist shows or like shows where teams have to solve a case each week, like Leverage, then this is probably a good watch for you. And then my second recommendation is if anybody is a Psych fan, Psych was a show on USA back when they used to have all of these like, um, what are they called? Like bromance type comedy shows. It's a show about these two best friends, Sean and Gus. And Sean pretends to be a psychic detective that solves crimes using his like... Powers like, of observation. Interesting <laughs> abilities that are, that are fake. Yeah. Right now, there is a supersized psychtacular binge-a-thon event on Wednesdays on USA Network where they're showing all eight seasons starting with the first two every week starting Wednesday night at 10 p.m. So if you haven't watched the show before, I definitely recommend it. And watching the pilot again last night, because like I was so excited for the show when it first premiered, it was better than I remembered. And I don't usually enjoy pilots. So I was feeling like very proud of past me and also very relieved. Like, go watch like... <laughs> I so you guys laughing because it's like a giant. Go yeah, ahead. you guys can't see it, but she is sitting in front of a giant psych poster. Such <laughs> <laughs> a good show. I feel like also just because like there's there's so many shows where there's like long running jokes that carry through the season, but my impression is that a lot of those shows storylines are kind of predicated around wow, everybody in the show is like a really bad person in a competition to be the worst, and in Psych, it's just like people trying to have a good time. And I think that it seems like the cast and crew really had a good time that was reflected through like everything in the series. And my impression is that it was really the first or like one of the earliest shows where their social media and the actors and everybody, but I think it started with the social media team really engaging with all of the viewers because they could see that there was that strong online sense of community there. And then it just grew beyond that to the cast and the creators and everybody. And that's really great. So that's all for this week's episode. Thank you everyone for listening and until next time, enjoy the view. This podcast is brought to you by our friends at Linode with 11 data centers worldwide, including their newest data center in Sydney, Australia, enterprise grade hardware, S3 compatible storage option, and their next generation network. Linode delivers the performance you expect at a price that you don't. Get started on Linode today by going to linode.com slash view.